You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Hey, Eric Stowe Julian here from Covington, Georgia. Just want to say I have not stopped smiling since being hearing my name called, since being getting that phone call, all that stuff to where I was just beyond happy to be a Green Bay Packer. And finally, let's just say, go Pack, go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. So we have got a lot, and I mean a lot, to talk about. Yes, there's going to be a little bit of talk about Aaron Rodgers. That's not going to be the majority of it, but there's going to be a little bit of that. If you want to know more of my thoughts on that, you can listen to yesterday's episode. I know several people had said that they weren't able to get the link to work, especially on iTunes. It was giving them some problems. Try again. If it doesn't work, somebody said they put their air, their phone in airplane mode and then out and then it worked. I don't know what trick that is, but that's a thing. Or just go to a different platform, Spotify, whatever. But outside of that, obviously our object- objectives are uh, talking about Eric Stokes, who did get selected by the Green Bay Packers. A lot of mixed emotions. I think this is more positive than usual. Um, the last several picks outside of maybe um, Darnell Savage, who, by the way, Darnell Savage, let's just let's just start with that. I'm curious now. A lot of people's biggest objection. Let's let's say I got to turn this back down. I turned it up yesterday because people couldn't hear me. Sorry about that. I was wondering why does it sound all poppy. Um, <clears throat> The biggest objection a lot of people have with Eric Stokes is that it was a reach. First of all, you got to stop. I don't know how many times I can say this. Now, again, if you don't like him, that's fine, but you got you to gotta not like him on your own merits. There has to be your own reasoning for thinking Eric, and, and there's plenty of them. But when you say we reached on him, what we're, say, what we're using as our basis, remember, the Packers don't think they reached. The Packers did their own analysis. They did a very thorough analysis. They have an army of people, and they built their own board, and according to the Packers, this was a good value not an average value, and certainly not a reach. They said they had the opportunity to trade back, but with Eric Stokes on the board, they decided not to. Also something to keep in mind, if they're just reaching for a corner, Asante Samuel is sitting there, and supposedly he's better. Packers disagree, right? So they didn't reach in their own minds. They reached in the minds of what the media says. And that maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, I don't know. But they've done this in the past. Again, Jair Alexander was a second-round pick up until about the last week when Mike Mayock said he was a first-round pick. Then all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 totally first-round pick. And then it, then by the time the draft happened, he was expected to be a first-round pick, and they took him. But, I mean, if you go back at most a month, he was a second-round prospect. Darnell Savage. And I don't know why there's, there's less hate on Darnell Savage, but uh, Darnell Savage, when we traded up for him, didn't just take him, we traded up for Darnell Savage, he was the 44th best prospect on the board. Eric Stokes, 47th best prospect on the board. So when we, I mean, this is very similar to Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage was considered a mid-second round prospect. The Packers traded up in the first and took him. And we all got excited because he's this, he's this athletic freak that, um, you know, can cover a lot of ground and he's got a super high ceiling. We fell in love with him and now he's ended the season last year as one of the best safeties in football. So this time they didn't even trade up. They, they just took him at 29, uh, the 47th best prospect. So it is very reminiscent of Darnell Savage, aside from the fact that Eric Stokes obviously plays for a much bigger program. So, I mean, again, there's, there's plenty you can be upset about. You liked other guys, that's fine. You're entitled to like whoever you like. Some guys really liked Eric Stokes and were stoked that they got him. Some people didn't like him or just liked other guys better. All that's fine. 
But again, do it on your own merits. Don't do it because Bleacher Report said so or because, you know, the draft network said Eric Stokes is not that good or, or whatever. Because if the Packers were a media company, number one, as I've said, they would be one of the most trusted media companies in the world, right? Everybody would trust and spend a premium on Brian Gutekunst's draft website way before they would trust Matt Miller's draft website, right? Trevor Sikama, even Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah is one of the most loved and trusted guys, largely because he was in the business, but he was never a GM. He worked in the building, and, and he's one of the smartest guys out there, and he's very respected for a reason. He never made it to the level of Brian Gutekunst, and he doesn't have an army of guys like Brian Gutekunst does. It's a bunch of Daniel Jeremiah's working underneath Brian Gutekunst that came to the decision that um, this was the, the best possible pick for the Packers. So have whatever opinion you want, but I'm not going to accept it was a reach. Unless you, per- if you personally think it's a reach, I'm fine with it. Don't tell me it's a reach because you've been told it's a reach. I've been told it's a reach too. The Packers said, no, it's not. This is a great value. And my instinct is to say the Packers would know better. Not that they can't be wrong. They can, but there's, again, there's just no reason to trust these self-made draftniks over guys who grow up in this business. So if you're excited about Darnell Savage, you should be excited about, about, you know, about Eric Stokes. And as usual, it's one of those picks where you look at it and go, man, that, all the signs really do point there, don't they? You're looking for probably a second-round prospect because they, they generally are taking guys that most of the media think are not quite a good enough value. So you're looking in that second-round range. You're looking at um, probably a defensive player. Doesn't have to be, but, you know, it's a, you know, maybe tackle, but otherwise... You, know, you could probably rule out wide receiver, linebacker, some of that stuff as much, you know, guard, center, as much as we said it was possible. And it is possible. That's not their primary bread and butter. They like key pieces with high upside, massive RAS. And Eric Stokes just checks every single box, doesn't he? Not to say there aren't another, uh, 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 you know, some other guys that fit that prototype. But it just, as soon as they made the pick, it's like, dude, we're so stupid. <laughs> we all should have been saying, you know, it's Stokes. You know, it has to be Stokes. But we didn't. That's all right. Anyways, why don't we pivot back to the Aaron Rodgers thing just so we can get this out of the way. Again, we don't, we don't have all the information. And um, as I said, if you want more of my thoughts, go back to yesterday's thing. But the only real big development, I think, is the comments directly from Brian Gutekunst. There are still some Packer fans saying this is completely made up by the media. It's not, that's not true. This is not made up. Brian Gute, if this was made up, Brian Gutekunst would go to the podium and say, this is made up, it's not true, none of these conversations are happening. He did not say that. He didn't deny a single allegation. He did say that this is maybe some of these things are being overblown. And again, it's not a matter of if it's happening, it's more a matter of what is happening, what exactly is happening. And I don't know that we got a clearer picture of that, but the comments that I saw this morning are uh, less than comforting, you could say. He's made several comments about it. By the way, make sure you're tuned into Packernet.com. If you want to keep up on all the news, this is a news aggregator. So every bit of news that you could possibly need from all the Packers sources, the national media sources pertaining to the Green Bay Packers, it's going to pop up on the site, so you don't want to miss it. But again, he not only didn't deny the allegations um, that are going on, but he played into them. In other words, how are you going to fix this? Well, here's what we're going to do. Wait a minute. If you answer the question, you're admitting it, right? Like if I said, what steps are you going to take to kind of work on this drinking problem that you have and you say, well, you know, I mean, we're going to do what we're going to do. We got to take it a day at a time and, uh, you know, just do what's best for ourselves and our family. You're admitting you got a drinking problem. Well, he didn't say it directly. Listen, if you said that to me, I would say, actually, uh, I don't, I don't drink. 
so I don't exactly know what you're talking about. It's very simple. You don't answer that in terms of what steps you're going to take if it's not an issue. So all the people saying there's nothing here, I'm sorry to tell you that's not the case. Again, we don't know exactly what's going on, but he absolutely did not deny it. Some of the quotes from Brian Gutekunst, um, again, denying that they would ever trade him, saying that, they re- that we really want him. Um, he says, he's our quarterback, he's our leader, goes on to say, we've been working through this for a little while now. Again, it's the this part of that that kind of freaks me out. We've been working through this. When you ask a specific question about the allegations that have come out today, or, or yesterday, I guess in this case, that Aaron Rodgers does not want to be here anymore, and, he, and his response is, we've been working through this for a while now, right? I mean, if, again, maybe a better analogy would be a broken, a broken marriage. You know, the allegations that uh, your wife says she doesn't want to be here anymore. You know, it's something we've been working through for a while now. That's, that's quite a statement to make. <laughs> he goes on to say, it may take us some time. He's a guy that makes this thing go. He gives us the best chance to win. We're going to work towards that end. So he's not even saying he's going to stay. He's essentially admitting that there is an, a, a chance that Rodgers will not be back. If this was all blown out of proportion, if this was all fake, and I told you, this is different. I, I, I make a very comfortable living saying the media is full of it. This is not one of those times. How are you going to keep Rodgers here? We're going to work on it. That's essentially his answer. He goes on to say, again, not super comforting, I do think he'll play for us again. We're going to work towards that, and we've been working towards that on a number of different fronts. Again, what is he saying here? First of all, I think he'll play for us again. First of all, very obvious that he's going to put a positive spin on it. He may be 25% sure Rodgers is going to be back and still make this comment. He's not going to make this comment if he's 100% sure that Rodgers is coming back. He would just say, yes, Rodgers is going to come back. We're working through it, whatever. He sounded defeated here. He sounded like, you know, and and again, when all these rumors came out, it it sounded like this kind of shook things up a little bit for the Green Bay Packers organization in terms of, at the very least, we can't really hide what's going on anymore. And at the most, maybe some kind of a realization. You know, again, if we use the analogy of a broken marriage, this would be like being served papers, right? This is the final stamp where it's like, no, this is serious. Like, you know, this is what it is now. I'm not coming back. So technically he said, yes, he'll play for, or I think he'll play for us again, but it's the I think part that is troubling because again, he's, he's acknowledging Rodgers may not come back while at the same time saying, we want him here. We're doing everything we can to bring him here. I believe even so far as, and I I have to absolutely confirm this. I don't know what I, what I believe is the case. What I saw was that they offered him a restructure or they wanted to restructure him. He wants an extension. Packers didn't want to give him an extension. A lot of people have corrected me since then saying, no, 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 they, they offered an extension as well. They broke. They gave in. Fine, we'll give you an extension. And Rogers still said no. I don't exactly know, and I don't know if the Packers have actually confirmed what is the case. I'm sure there have been reports. I don't know what's been confirmed. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's serious because what else do you have to offer? And then he uh, kind of ends it with, we're very committed to him. I'm optimistic that that's what's best for the Green Bay Packers, and I truly believe that's what's best for Aaron Rodgers as well. It's just a it's just a broken husband, man. You know, a guy that maybe hasn't been perfect. Maybe he's made some mistakes, but he's 100% committed and she's just done. That's just how it feels. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I We have not heard from Aaron Rodgers. I don't know exactly what's going on. We do kind of know that he's a little bit petty. We know that this guy can hold a grudge like nobody else. So, you know, maybe some other quarterbacks can brush off drafting a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem to have that ability. We've been hearing for 15 years about this stupid ship on his shoulder. You know, because he's still crying about the 49ers didn't draft him or something stupid. So I guess I wouldn't put it past him. But I mean, if this is the reality, 
I don't think anybody, myself included, can can take the side of Aaron Rodgers in this. If it is the reality that the Packers are willing to give him an extension only one year into a four-year contract just to please him, essentially saying, fine, we will nullify Jordan Love's rookie year uh, rookie deal, right? We're, we're, he, he cannot play on his rookie deal. We'll give you an extension. That will lock you up for the next, let's say, three years for sure. And he still says no? I'm sorry. I'm not taking Rodgers' side on that. Well, they shouldn't have drafted Love. No, no, no. Rodgers needs to suck it up. Stop being a baby. And, 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 and I will not accept the Green Bay Packers being held hostage by any player. Well, when it's Rodgers, it's different. B.S. I refuse to accept that the Green Bay Packers should, should just completely fold over for Aaron Rodgers and do whatever he wants. He should be consulted before they draft anybody. He should be consulted about who they cut, who they pick up. He should be able to demand an extension, and then when he gets it, be able to say, no, I still don't want it. I'm not happy enough. Number one offense in football. Why? why what, what are you upset about? Well, he's not giving me wide receivers. They've built this defense from the group. Tom Brady wins Super Bowls because of a defense. Brian Gutekunst has committed himself to building up this defense, and he's done a fantastic job. This is one of the better defenses Aaron Rodgers has ever seen. What, he's going to cry about it? Again, I don't know if any of this is true, but I don't know what else to say. If, if they're offering him a contract, which I think is unnecessary, they shouldn't have to do that. If they're offering him a new contract and he's saying, no, I'm sorry, but as, as sad as it's going to be that the Packers are going to probably take a step back and be in a, a little bit of a, a limbo mode, so be it. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not dealing, I'm not putting up with it. I'm not interested in it. Take your whiny crybaby BS and get out of here. Trying to win football games and trying to enjoy football here. If you're going to make this all about you, you could not care any less about what's best for the Green Bay Packers, what's best for your teammates, what's best for the fans, what's best for the state, what's best for the team. You just don't care. It's all about you. I'm sorry. Best of luck. Find a team that will give in to all your whims. Find a team that will hand you the keys to the to the city, to the stadium. To, 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 you, know, you can make adjustments to their big board if you want to. Find that team. Go ahead. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing with that. I'm sorry. Love you, man. You've done some great things for the Packers. But if that's what's going on right now, just leave. I'm, I'm over it anyways. The, the quarterback drama, the whining, the snipey backsided comments. We've been hearing this for five, six years. I'm just, I'm just over it, man. But, you know, hopefully you guys work it out and you come back. In other words, hopefully you come to your senses and um, stop doing this. And if it's a negotiation tactic, fine. Maybe he's willing to sign whatever the Packers have in front of him. He's just trying to squeeze something a little better out of him. I don't know. But I'm, I'm kind of just done talking about it. You know, whatever. Best of luck. Hopefully we see you this year. If not, you know, best of luck to you. Good luck with Jeopardy, I guess. All right. On to Eric Stokes. So Eric Stokes is a cornerback out of Georgia. I had somebody very mad at me yesterday because I am I was praising the pick and saying that I'm happy and I'm excited and I'm looking forward to kind of digging in and uh, welcome to Green Bay. You know, you want to rally around the guy that got drafted and apparently I'm a hypocrite because I never said they were going to pick Eric Stokes because that makes sense in, in his mind somehow because I needed to call out by name, which, by the way, I did. I mean, I literally listed every single second-round prospect and said I'd be fine with any of these guys. So, first of all, you're wrong. I, I have done that. I think Davion Nixon is the only one um, I said I wasn't super excited about in the first. I even said in the second I might be okay with it. So, that's not even entirely true. But, again, it is very similar to Darnell Savage, man. I mean, it was an unexpected pick. You didn't really see it coming. We didn't have to trade up for him, which is great, which means we still have nine more picks, which is fantastic. One of the downsides of constantly trading up is that you lose out on rounds and all this other stuff. And the Packers got a ton of picks coming up, and we'll we'll look at rounds two and three in the future here and, and some of our options and whatnot. 
As a matter of fact, let's stop here because I'm going to take advantage. I've, I've never really used this transcription thing that I've got. We're going to do it. Here is me talking about Eric Stokes, by the way, as, as an option in the first round. And so here is, if you want to find this episode yourself, it's Draft Day Prospects, I think from like April 5th, something like that. Uh, I talked a ton about Eric Stokes, actually. Here are just a couple clips from that episode, uh, some of the things I had to say. I'm not going to play a lot of it because I kind of went through stuff I want to talk about today, but just, just throwing it out there. This isn't just rah-rah hypocrisy from a Packer fan who's having some revisionist history. This is from April 5th-ish. <laughs> now, again, I, I think it's entirely possible that, you know, we could take Asante, we could take Stokes, we could take Campbell. I don't think too many people would bat an eye at that. That leaves Newsom, Samuel, Stokes, Campbell, Melfonwu, Molden. Um, those are sort of the second-round-ish guys that I think could potentially be first-round picks. Again, right now they're seen as second-round guys, but that's uh, the Packers have no qualms about taking guys that are a lot earlier than expected. They took Darnell Savage as the first safety. He was not expected to be the first safety, and they traded up for him. In fact, I can look at when he was expected to go. He was expected to go 44th. Packers traded up in the first round to take him. Eric Stokes again at 48th. So definitely not out of range for the Packers at 29. Either way, neither Jalen Waddell nor Devontae Smith really tore it up against Eric Stokes. Somebody was lined up against him every single snap. I don't know who, but he didn't do anything. So if you wanted to, that would be a good game to go watch and just understand that nobody really beat Eric Stokes for a lot. The worst thing done was Devontae Smith getting a touchdown against him. But that'll give you the much-needed context of kind of who was up against him. I mean, was it John Mechie all day long or what? But yes, largely very consistent. Lots and lots of upside. The RAS is through the roof, which the Packers seem to really like. They like guys that they can mold. They obviously believe very heavily in their coaches that they can use that uh, that elite athleticism and get the best out of them. So that was all from one episode. And, and the earliest mention that I can see of Eric Stokes and talking about him as a possibility for the Packers was, um, looks like Stafford to the Rams. This would have been January 31st, Stafford to the Rams, episode 993. And again, just kind of running through options for the Packers in the first round. Here we go. Other than that, I mean, you got Trey Smith and Elijah Vera Tucker, our interior guys. Javon Holland is a versatile safety. Creed Humphrey at center, if we do end up moving on from Corey Lindsley, is possibly an option, probably more of a second-round guy. Um, Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. Asante Samuel, cornerback out of Florida State. We've been talking about him quite a bit the last few days. That's That's kind of... That's kind of what we're looking at. And again, there's going to be a lot of movements. All right, so, so again, and there's probably 15 uh, episodes in which Stokes came up at some point. But I, and, and this, this isn't me gloating because I didn't predict this. I never predicted. I even said in the beginning of this, we should have seen it coming, and I did not. Some of you guys did, and kudos to you for that. In fact, um, a lot of when I talked about Stokes in that most recent uh, episode there where I went in depth was because somebody asked about him and said, what do you think about Stokes? I think he'd be a great fit. So some of you guys, again, did see this coming or at least wanted this to happen. The reason that I wanted to highlight this, outside of just being excited about being able to just look up stuff that I can, you know, pull my own receipts and whatnot, is really just to get you guys to see that this was not a reach. This is not a shocking pick by any stretch. But it was, again, there's a pile of guys basically from the back of the first through about the second round where you look at it and go, I could definitely see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Stokes, even more so. We know it's a position of need. We know it's a position the Packers covet, and it's an important, critical position, which the Packers typically like to stick to in the first round. We know he is a high athletic freak, similar to Jair, similar to, um, I mean, Kevin King, similar to 
Darnell Savage, obviously. So, I mean, this isn't me just being a homer. This is this is 100% looking at it going, all right, I can see that. And again, if you don't like it, that's fine. You can not like it if you want to. But this is not a, a you know, on its face, a bad pick by the Packers. Like everybody else, you got to wait and see how it develops. But I am excited. I'm genuinely excited, not just as a homer, not just as a fan, although that's a big part of it. As somebody who looks at a prospect with a massive ceiling on a team that already has great corners. Eric Stokes is coming in to be the number two. He's trying to beat out Kevin King this year. That's his job. And he gets to learn from Jair. He gets to learn from Amos and Savage and be a part of this crew that's already quite good. And obviously having one of the best DB coaches in football, you know, I mean, it's just, it's something special. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jair was the best corner in football Amos was ended the year as the best safety in football, and, and Savage in the second half of the year was like the second best safety in football. In other words, by the end of the season, Jair was the best corner, and Savage and Amos were the best duo by far, possibly number one and number two. I don't think that's a coincidence that we just happened to hire one of the best DB coaches in football, and that's how the season ended. So this is what Eric Stokes is coming into. He might still bust. Of course he might bust. Any one of these guys might bust. Asante Samuel. Right? Uh, Rashad Bateman, had he fallen. Greg Newsom, had he fallen, might have been a bust. Any one of these guys can bust out. We know that. But sitting back today on April 30th and worrying about is he going to bust just seems silly to me. And again, this this isn't Ted. Sometimes we attribute to Gutekunst Ted Thompson's, um, I, I hate to call them failures, but, you know, whatever. They had different strengths and weaknesses. Ted Thompson was not the greatest in the first round. Ted Thompson clearly was not the greatest at drafting corners. He was fantastic at things like wide receiver. He was an absolute ace in the mid-rounds, and he put a lot of work into finding those mid, those late-round gems. Undrafted free agent corners, oh my goodness. You know, he had a lot of strengths, but I, I just don't think the first round he put as much emphasis in. And, and again, early-round corners, not that great, but... Uh, Gutekunst, he may have failings in the mid-rounds where Ted Thompson didn't. He may have some other failings elsewhere, maybe a little bit too fast and loose with the the salary cap. But, um, I mean, if you're doubting his ability to find DBs and to hit in the first round, I don't think you've been paying attention. He hasn't been perfect, but he's he's got a higher hit rate than the average than your average guy, especially as a guy that picks in the back of the first round regularly. So um, I'm I'm ready to trust. I'm ready to get excited. I'm ready to get fired up. I'm ready to just consume as much as I possibly can. By the way, I have every intention. We'll see how much my family allows me to do this. I have every intention of sitting down here and doing nothing but watching film and hopefully putting some uh, some videos together of Eric Stokes and just getting all, all you know, stoked about it if we want to be cheesy. And I do. I mean, just, just, just think for a moment how much speed the Packers have. How, how stupid is this? <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable. 4-2-5, he actually got timed. I've been saying because I think his, his official RAS thing says like four three something. Oh wait a minute, this this is a completely different. So maybe that was like an outdated. Either this is outdated or the other one on the site is outdated because that one had like a nine nine three, and he did not have a four two five. But he also had a bad agility score. This one he doesn't. He didn't even do agility drills. So there must be like a, what is the date on this? This is from March seventeenth. I want to go to the website again. Yeah, so on the website, it's a 937. I wonder if there's a date here. Bear with me as I figure out how this all comes together. I don't know, as best as I can tell, they had two pro days. I I don't really know how that works. It's funny because you find articles that talk about one or the other. I found one that talked about both, but they never addressed, like, this is the one thing and then this was the other thing. 
I just find articles that say at his pro day he ran four two five, and then others that say on his pro day he ran four three one. The four three one pro day is the later pro day though. And also, if I look on here, it does say Eric Stokes ran a four two five unofficially, if accurate, to be the third fastest. And then I'm guessing the official one, or if if it was laser timed, I don't know, it would be four three, uh, four three one. But I mean, again, dude, four three one is so stupid fast. Like if if that's the low end for him, that's unbelievably stupid. But it sounds like he had two pro days. The first one, he ran a four two five and didn't do agility drill, so he got the nine point nine nine RAS. Second time around, it was a 4-3-1, which is slower, and he did the agility drills and didn't exactly kill it, but um, either way, he's still in the nines and ridiculously athletic. Um, I saw a tweet here from Ian Kenyon saying, um, if nothing else, Green Bay has major speed in their secondary. Jair Alexander, 4-3-8, Eric Stokes, 4-2-5, Darnell Savage, 4-3-6. So even if it was a 4-3-1, he still is the fastest of the three, which is ridiculous because those other two guys are crazy fast. He went on to say, Green Bay once tried having a corner running in the high four sixes, Ladarius Gunter, covering Julio in an NFC title game. So they've come a long way, if that isn't the truth. And again, props to Gutekunst for really turning the ship, because I think we forget how bad things have been, how bad things were, how ugly this secondary was. And, and interestingly enough, that's one of the things I really liked about what Brian Gutekunst said, which is kind of reiterating what fans have been saying this whole time when people want to pile on about... Aaron Rodgers and, and kind of highlighting, excuse me, this is this was the number one offense in football last year. But when Brian Gutekunst had talked about it, I think there was a question, and a fair question at that, I mentioned, I think, in the stream. There's been a lot of picks at the position, and there's a lot, especially on defense. You know, are there any reservations or any reason why you refuse to take offense? And Gutekunst kind of said, you know, when we got here, we had a pretty good offense. We really needed to get this defense up to snuff. And at the time, nobody would have disagreed with that. Our defense was so unbelievably pathetic, and everybody understood the reason we're not winning championships is because the defense is not up to par. And he even went on to say, "This is this. Is, we knew that we can't actually win championships and compete without a good defense. He says, now we're sort of at that tipping point where the defense is almost up to where the offense is. In other words, we added Stokes, and we're starting to feel confident that maybe the offense is good enough that not that we are neglecting offense or that we don't want to go offense. We'll take the best players, and if we think an offensive player will help, that's fine. But there is a priority to get the defense where it needs to be. And everybody understands that. Everybody understands Tom Brady won all those championships because he had elite defenses almost every single year. We have a good offense. We we lost because, again, I mean, Zadarius and Kevin King and, and a lot of these guys, they just didn't really show up. There was nothing from from uh, the, the defense. The offense had its problems. The offensive line in particular was pathetic. But ultimately, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we have to get the defense to be, I don't want to say as scary because expecting a number one defense and a number one offense is a little unrealistic, but um, you have to get the defense up to where it needs to be. And, and Gutekunst has looked at it and said, we're getting there. And he's right. And again, he's done a fantastic job, but even with this pick, oh, another, you know, Ian Rappaport, oh, another year, another non-offensive player, big shocker. Like, dude, you guys are insufferable with this. We had, let's look it up, in terms of points, the offense was first, the defense was 13th. In terms of yards, the offense was fifth, the defense was ninth. The priority here is defense. Not that it's a massive thing. And again, he even said, we're kind of getting to that tipping point, and that is relatively close. But still, what's the bigger weakness, offense or defense? The media is going to tell you it's offense, and they have terrible wide receivers, and poor Rodgers, blah, blah, blah. But anybody with any sense of, of, of just... Common sense. I don't, you know, 
defense is still a bigger need than offense. It's not to say we don't need a wide receiver. I'm going to be doing backflips if we get a wide receiver in round two or offensive tackle or guard or whatever. I'm going to be so excited. Of course it's important. But I think that's a very valid point from Brian Gutekunst. The offense was on a separate tier, and the defense was pathetic, and it was. And he's built and scrapped and clawed to get the defense up to where we can compete. And you want to talk about supporting Aaron Rodgers, the biggest absolute waste of Rodgers' career has nothing to do, nothing to do with wide receivers. In fact, that's the one thing Rodgers has been consistently stacked with his entire career, elite wide receivers, including right now, number one wide receiver in football. The one thing that he has has failed to have is a top-tier defense. Gutekunst came in and said, we're not going to allow that to happen. He has supported Rodgers in ways that he has needed more than anything else. He has given him exactly what he needs, and that is a great defense. And people are going to hone in on wide receiver, and I think that's silly. That's the one thing he has had this entire time. Between that and offensive line, I, I, I think those are the only things he's had. He definitely hasn't had elite running backs. This is one of the first times ever he's had that. Now he's got a stacked group, thanks to Ted Thompson getting um, Aaron Jones, Gutekunst re-signing Aaron Jones, and bringing in A.J. Dillon. We have got a stacked group. Thanks to Ted Thompson getting a wide receiver and, and, and Gutekunst about to re-sign him, we have an elite wide receiver. Thanks to Ted Thompson getting David Bakhtiari and Gutekunst re-signing him, we have the best left tackle in football. Thanks to um, Brian Gutekunst getting Elton Jenkins and Billy Turner, for that matter. Not that I'm the biggest fan, but we're clearly a better team with him than without him. And John Runyon. This is, again, we ended the, la- the, the season last year saying, this. I believe this is the best team in football. They didn't play like it against Tampa, but this is, this is arguably the best roster in football. Now, if Rodgers leaves, that changes pretty drastically. But I'm not going to put that on on Gutekunst's shoulders. He did nothing wrong to deserve abandonment from the quarterback. He has built this team to be something unbelievably special, obviously with the assistance of Ted Thompson and some great things that he did. But the the quick turnaround, a six-win team made it to the NFC Championship the next year. And back-to-back years after winning six games and being a complete wreck. The locker room was messed up. Rodgers was unhappy. Everything was all messed up. He came in and built this team from the ground up to be a fantastic team. And I think Eric Stokes is a great piece, and I really hope Aaron Rodgers comes to his senses. I hope they come to some kind of an agreement. If that means an extension and we got to just say goodbye to, to love more or less, then I guess that is what it is. Because I do think this is a team that's ready to compete right now. And I do think Eric Stokes helps to support Aaron Rodgers in the best possible way, and that is keep the opponent's score low to take a massive amount of weight off of Aaron Rodgers. It's not the old days where if he doesn't score 35 points, we lose. I want Aaron Rodgers to have the kind of team where if you score 21 points, like Mitch Trubisky has had his entire career, you score 21 points, you're good. We win. You think that isn't supporting your quarterback? Give me a break. So I I am a Brian Gutekunst fan. I am. And listen, I criticized Mike McCarthy when I felt it was time to do so. I said Ted Thompson was kind of over the hill when it was time that he was over the hill. Criticizing Brian Gutekunst at this stage, considering what he's done, is, is, is the opposite of bias. I mean, it, it, I guess it is biased, but it, it's it's the opposite of just being a fan that just supports anything that they do. What he's done is unbelievable, and to not support it is foolish. And and, and you know, there's there's the that title that Packer fans carry around of entitled town, right? That is the embodiment of entitled town. A six-win team that was on the verge of collapse. Aaron Rodgers was not playing well. The team was falling apart. Everybody was trash. The locker room was garbage. The the play calling, everything was horrible. We didn't have a coach. We didn't have anything. We had a horrible defense. One of the worst cornerback groups in all of football. We barely scratched out six wins. There was no hope whatsoever. We went to -to back-to-back NFC championships after that year. 
The only reason we possibly don't have two Super Bowls right now is because there's some weird little glitch in the system where they tend to fall apart with against one team, and that one team happens to be the team they face in the NFC Championship both times. If they had faced anybody else, I think they would have won a Super Bowl. But we're going to sit here and piss and moan, and apparently Aaron Rodgers is on that side with all the other fans that are constantly whining and complaining all the time, complaining about everything Gutekunst does, nothing's ever good enough. In Town, apparently the captain of Town is Aaron Rodgers. I said I was moving on, but it's just, I'm just, I'm annoyed. I'm trying to, to scold fans, and it's like, I feel like I'm talking directly to Aaron Rodgers as I'm saying this stuff. And again, you don't have to like the pick. You don't have to like the pick, but just don't make it on for ridiculous reasons, because it's a reach, because we don't need corner, which is not true, because we should have gone offense, because this is all the media narrative that's nonsense. It's all nonsense. If this is a good pick, the Green Bay Packers possibly have by far, I mean, if we can carry over what we did last year, if Jair stays at, it doesn't have to be number one, but stays at a high level. If Amos and Savage continue what they did in the second half of last year, and if Eric Stokes can be even a, a, a decent number two, this is by far the best secondary in football. Even if Stokes isn't, this is still possibly the best secondary in football. How many people have number ones like across the board at corner and two safety spots? Nobody has that. It's absurd. And then we just got to hope for a little bit of a bounce back from from um, from Zadarius, a continued growth from Rashawn, a little bit more life from from um, Kenny, and hopefully we get a little bit of help for Kenny on the interior. I mean, if we just get a little bit of an awakening from that anywhere along that defensive line, we are in just such an unbelievably good spot. And we got to hope that the scheme kind of kind of helps us with that. One of the, the great observations made in the uh, stream that I, I do think, and this is more of a Coach Hawn question, but um, something that I do think is more of a characteristic of this scheme compared to Petten is aggression. I think there will be, you know, one of, one of the most biggest frustrations we all had with Mike Petten was we Brian Gutekunst built up this secondary to be something pretty special. And he didn't seem to ever trust it. He's constantly dropping more and more guys into coverage, leaving the, the defensive linemen on an island to make plays, while the, the secondary is protected by dropping everybody into coverage. It's as though he didn't trust his coverage guys. And, and, and I, I tend to think that this is going to be a little bit more, we're going to trust our DBs and we're going to send that defensive line. We're not going to just sit here and play prevent. Or that's that, that's not the right term. But you, you know how the, the defensive line is is not super aggressive. They're, they're, they tend to kind of want to contain, you know, compress the pocket, keep them in the pocket, make them, it just, I, I would love it. And I, I do think this is going to be a priority. The secondary, again, their primary job is going to be to hang back. The defensive line's job is to be aggressive and to attack. And I think just giving them the green light is going to be something special. And we've seen that. We've seen that at the end of games where, you know, they've been super conservative all game, and then finally Petten gives them the green light to just go, just just hunt. Because that's what these guys are. At the end of the day, when you look at Zadarius and, and Rashawn, they're not perfect prospects. They have some, some issues here and there. But if you say just cut the dogs loose and go hunt, those guys can really get it done. Especially when you have a defensive coordinator that signs that on the dotted line on that one that just says, listen, we're not going to play games. I'm not going to sit here and, and treat you like a child. You're a bad man. You are a scary, ferocious beast. And your job, I'm just going to cut you loose. You fire off that edge. You destroy that tackle. You slam him by the neck right into the head of that quarterback and you bring them both down. I want you to destroy the quarterback. I want you to haunt his nightmares for the next seven years of his life. I think that gets guys excited. And I think they'll respond to that. I'm really at a loss. There's so much we got to talk about. Um, I want to take a break, but there's a lot on the other side that we need to talk about. So let's very quickly, I can't cover everything 
about Eric Stokes, but let's just really quickly, one more time, go through what PFF had to say, just grades and stats. Uh, we'll get more into reports and everything else maybe tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll look it over today. You can ask me in the stream or whatnot. But after the after that, we're going to take a break, and then after the break, I want to focus on some other things that happened in day one as well as looking at day uh, day two here. And again, it's frustrating because I feel like I'm not doing my job, and my job is to tell you every single detail there ever was to know about Eric Stokes. But the fact of the matter is we have a lot of time to talk about this stuff and kind of figure it out, and um, I'll do what I can for today, and we'll we'll talk about more tonight and tomorrow. So Eric Stokes, six foot one, 185. Um, ended up going first overall to the Green Bay Packers, 4-3-ish, 4-2 possibly speed. He do, you, you do have a good amount of consistency now, um, which is something I've been saying that I want for a long time. It makes me nervous when you see two bad years and then one really good year. Uh, 2020 was his worst grade, or worst graded year overall, 72.5, but still solid. The two prior years, 82.2 and 81.4. So he's never been a bad football player. Uh, his coverage, 84, 78, 73. Again, sort of a downward slope. You kind of want more of an upward slope. But I think Brian Gutekunst had mentioned, I don't think that would be his assessment. He said in 2018, he came in as an, an incredible athlete. And then he really took some steps in the last year and a half. So his assessment would be kind of the opposite, I guess. But again, PFF doesn't necessarily disagree. They, they just think he's been good for three years. Um, but whatever. Uh, another really exciting thing about him, his tackling grade is through the roof, and some people have mentioned that. I mean, I remember somebody in the comments saying, when he tackles, you can hear it. Um, his run defense grade has been solid, a little bit down in 2020, 61, so average, but 74 and 72. His tackling grades, though, starting in 18, 81, 85, and 80, just top notch. Uh, he has done a little bit of blitzing, uh, not a ton, 29 different pass rushes, uh, eight times he got home, one sack, two hits, and five hurries on those uh, 29 attempts. He's got one batted pass, 75 tackles, nine assisted tackles are going over all three years. Only five missed tackles. Again, fantastic tackler, which is exciting. I love that. You know, one of the one of the things we love about Jair and are not a super big fan of with Kevin King is the tackling aspect. Not that Kevin King hasn't been good at times. We've seen him kind of throw his body around and, and make lay some hits, but he's been so hesitant lately. And, and we love the aggression from, from Jair, and you feel like you get that from Stokes, a guy that sees it and just he goes into, in, into missile mode and just attacks. And the fact that he's a good tackler, I mean, it's, it's a good thing, especially when you're talking about more of a, a, a zone-heavy defense where you're kind of hanging back, keeping your eyes in the backfield. I only watched a highlight video so far, but from what I saw, he's a guy that loves to kind of hang back, watch the quarterback, and break on the ball, which, I mean, just saying that's got to get some people excited, but that's his thing. And that works whether it's uh, breaking on the ball to make a pick. It also works when you're talking about a run game. He's keeping his eyes in the backfield so he can see it and he can make a play. Shoot into the backfield, tackle the runner. It also works on things like screens, which is where Jair obviously excels. He sees it, destroys the blocker, gets behind him, and makes a tackle. Eric Stokes is another guy that can do that. You get that on both sides of the field. I mean, you got to get excited about that. Again, only five missed tackles, uh, 75 tackles, nine assists. Never really been a bad tackler ever. 22 stops, which are uh, negative plays for the offense. 28 or 2019 was a big year for you. 13 in that year. Uh, one forced fumble in that year as well. Um, 118 total targets, 63 caught, so 53.4 reception percentage. He gave up 614 yards over three years. 2019 was the highest. In 2020, it was only 145 yards, which is pretty low. Uh, 9.7 yards per reception on average over the three years. Um, longest reception he's ever given up, and this is really exciting. When I looked at, you know, I talked about on that little clip from a few days ago talking about Alabama, right? That's the big thing. Even Gutekunst said, when you watch guys like this, you want to see how he does against top competition. Now, he did not grade out very well. His one bad grade 
was against Alabama. They gave him a 47 overall grade. But the point is, statistically speaking, he never gives up a lot. In three years, in three years at a major program going up against guys like in Alabama and in 2019 LSU, the biggest reception he's given up ever is 35 yards, and that was in 2018. In 2019, the longest reception he gave up was 28 yards. In 2020, his longest reception given up was 18 yards. Now think about that. What is one of the things we love about King? I mean, I'm, I'm getting excited at the fact that we're talking about a blend between Jair and King, right? He's got all the positives of Jair, but uh, also some of the few positives of King. Now this is obviously best case scenario, but we're seeing it. I'm, I'm describing it to you in, in his statistics, not like just dreaming. This is going to be a long episode, folks. We're at 40 minutes. But the one thing I've always said that I liked about Kevin King, although he completely made me look stupid in the NFC Championship game, is you don't get behind him. And that seems to be a big thing with Stokes. And so you got a guy that does a good job of kind of hanging and watching in the backfield, but you you think that you're going to t- get a deep shot on Eric Stokes. It's literally never happened, ever. 35 yards is the longest reception ever. This past year, 18 yards was the longest reception given up. That was week five against Auburn. He gave up an 18-yard reception. Um, that was the only reception he gave up in that entire game. Only two yards after the catch, so obviously it was he was right there for the catch. He brought him down pretty instantly. But, I mean, that's it. You look at Alabama, obviously there was uh, three receptions given up, and he gave up a touchdown, so you're like, oh, shucks, that kind of stinks. But, I mean, he only gave up three receptions. You know a team like Alabama, if, 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 if they're just better than you, they're just going to pick you apart. They didn't. Three receptions for 33 total yards. The longest reception given up in that entire game was 13 yards. And yeah, he gave up a touchdown. That stinks. But I mean, we're talking about elite competition. The guys that he went up against, the guy that he gave up that that uh, touchdown to went in, uh, he went number six overall to Miami, right? He, he gave up one reception for a touchdown to the guy that went number six overall to Miami. He played against them all day. That's all he gave up. I mean, if you want to call that a win for Alabama, fine. You want to call that a win for Waddle? Yeah, I mean, on that play for sure. But, I mean, that that's that just gets you excited right there. If nothing else, he just does what King does um, as far as not giving up deep passes. And, and, again, King did give up quite a few big ones, which was frustrating. Generally speaking, he was good on go routes. But, I mean, it's not just go routes. It's it's If you think you're going to take a deep shot on Eric Stokes, it just doesn't work. The most yards he gave up in an entire game this year was 42 yards against Florida. He didn't give up a single game of 50 yards, not one. There are corners who give up 50-yard receptions. He didn't give up 50-yard games all year. In, uh, let's see, 2019, he had two games in which he gave up more than 50 yards. LSU, which obviously, again, a massive game. By the way, his grade was a 53. That was his lowest game as well. So, again, the toughest competition was the lowest grade, but he only gave up 54 yards and a touchdown. Again, not great. You don't want to see those touchdowns, but still, four receptions, 54 yards, that's the worst game you're going to give up all year. Aside from that... um, as far as a lot of receptions and yards against Auburn, 85 yards on six receptions, no touchdown. That was it. That was, you know, he didn't give up any other 50-yard games that entire year. So in two years, he's given up 50 yards or more twice. Never has he given up a 100-yard game. Um, and as far as touchdowns, he's given up three touchdowns in three years. That's it. One of them came against Alabama. Again, the guy that went number six overall. Let me see who get who got the touchdown against LSU. Oh, take a wild guess. It was Mr. Jamar Chase. So he's matched up against Jamar Chase, two targets, one reception. It was a 23-yard touchdown. So he's given up three touchdowns, one of them to Jalen Waddle, one of them to Jamar Chase. Those two guys went number five and number six in the draft. 
The only other touchdown he gave up was against Denzel Mims. He gave up, uh, let's see, three targets, only one reception, and it was a 12-yard touchdown. He also had a pass breakup against Denzel Mims. So on three targets, uh, only one of them was caught, and it happened to be a touchdown. Those are the only three touchdowns he gave up. Denzel Mims, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle. In three years, that's it. His career passer rating when targeted, uh, well, let's do this. He gave up three touchdowns. He had four interceptions. All four, by the way, came in 2020. So that was not a massive part of his game, necessarily. He didn't have a single uh, interception in 2018 or 2019. He had four in 2020. And 2020 was a condensed year. It was not even a full year. And it's not like they came in bunches. He had one against Arkansas. He had one against Tennessee. He had one against Florida. And he had one against Missouri. They were staggered almost perfectly spaced out throughout the year. And then as far as pass breakups, he has 15 in three years. So average in five a year, six in 2018, seven in 2019, two in 2020, only two. But if you combine that with the interceptions, we're talking about six and four of them happen to be picks. NFL passer rating 62.6 as a career, but a 43.6 passer rating in 2020. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So as far as official stats for the year, 16 receptions on 28 targets, 145 yards, um, 18 yards was the longest reception, one touchdown, four interceptions, two pass breakups, 43.6 passer rating when targeted. There was some comments as far as he gets a little grabby, um, I see that he does have a handful of, of penalties, probably something to do with that. Um, three penalties in 2020, four in 2019, and two in 2018. So um, I, ha- I don't pay too much attention to penalties, but I can see that he had nine. Uh, I guess I could quickly look at a comparison. Greg Newsom had 14 penalties in three years. So <laughs> he had five penalties this past year and only played one, two, three, four, five, six. So, I mean, that was the first guy I looked up. He's got a lot more penalties than... Um, then Stokes. Asante Samuel in three years has 20, uh, no, wrong one, 11 penalties. He had five penalties this year in roughly the same amount of games. So as far as penalties, it seems like he's actually lower than a lot of the guys that we've been looking at. Looking at some more advanced stats here, snaps per target. So how many times does a team snap the ball before uh, they get targeted? Seventh best grade of any corner out of, let's see how many we got here, 56. So 56 guys that are 2021 prospects. He was seventh overall. The only guys that you probably know about that are higher, uh, Patrick Sertan was sixth. 10.1 snaps before he ends up getting targeted. So he's very rarely thrown at. Um, Some of the other guys, Asante Samuel is 15th, eight snaps per target. His teammate Tyson Campbell, 7.5 snaps per target. And it really does say something when the other guy across from you is really talented too, and they still won't throw at you. Uh, Greg Newsom is 40th on this list, 6.2. That's about it. Snaps per reception. How many times before a guy actually catches the ball, which is probably more important. And Greg Newsom is actually really high, which is impressive because he was 40th. He jumps up to eighth. So he gets targeted a lot, but they don't catch it very often. Um, Greg Newsom is eighth. Uh, Patrick Sertan is third. J.C. Horn is number one. Eric Stokes is still 10th, though, out on this list. 17.6 snaps per reception. Very, very, um, very nice. Very nice ranking there, sir. Elfan Wu, 27th. Asante is 24th. Calvin Joseph, 23rd. Um, who else we got here? It's a, you know, whatever. How about dropped interceptions? We've had a lot of issues with that on the Green Bay Packers. Um, most of these guys don't have any, including Eric Stokes, so it's nice to see that he is not on this list. Sean Wade uh, leads the group with three. J.C. Horn is one of the guys on this list. Tyson Campbell has a dropped interception. Patrick Sertan has a dropped interception. Um, Fetty Melfonwu is on the list. So I mean, it's, it's everything I've looked at so far is is promising. 
mentioned interceptions, but just looking compared to the group, Eric Stokes is tied for second with four picks. The only guy higher was Shakur Brown out of Michigan State. Uh, one of the fun new things that they've added is forced incompletions and forced incompletion percentages. Eric Stokes is actually pretty low on this list. So forced incompletions obviously would include pass breakups and things like that. Uh, but also is is there's more to it than that. There's, you know, if you're forcing a guy out of bounds or whatever the case may be. Uh, J.C. Horn is pretty high on this list at fourth. Uh, Sertan is seventh. Greg Newsom tied for seventh. Asante is 11th. Um, you got Eric Stokes is 43rd. He had seven forced incompletions on the season. But again, well, I, guess, I guess that is a percentage. So 7% of the time he forced an incompletion. Um, from a scheme perspective, if we look at uh, man coverage percentage, Stokes is kind of average on this list. I mean, the, the, the point is most of these guys are zone corners in, the, in college. Only four guys were primarily man corners. J.C. Horn is one of them. Uh, three other guys not super high up on this list. He's actually 17th out of uh, whatever I said it is, 60-something, 56 total. So he's played man more often than a lot of other guys, but it's still only 34, 35-ish percent of the time. So I wouldn't get super concerned with that. The question, I guess, is how well did he perform? Um, and unfortunately, they don't have grades yet, which would be kind of nice to be able to see how they graded out in each. I think for NFL players, they do. For college, they didn't quite roll that out yet. But uh, he had two picks in man coverage, two picks in zone coverage. He, uh, so crazy, 44.2 passer rating when targeted while in zone, 18.5 passer rating while targeted in man coverage. So, I mean, again, everybody's going to play a blend, right? There's percentages that you're going to play zone, percentages you're going to play man. The, the assumption is it's going to be pretty low in man, pretty high in zone. He can do it. He does a great job, but it sounds like whenever, if and when they decide we're going to put him man on man and we're just going to lock him down on somebody just because it's a good matchup, seems like he can kind of handle it. And again, that's similar to Jair. Right, Jair's a little bit better in zone than he is in man, but he's still one of the best man cover corners in the NFL. So, you know, nothing super big as far as takeaways there, but, you know, he can, sounds like he can do it all. There's not like a big weakness in one or the other. Finally, in terms of his ability in the slot, um, in 2020, he only had six targets, two receptions while in the slot for 31 yards. Um, he did give up one touchdown while in the slot, which, I mean, his one touchdown came when he was in the slot, which is not his primary thing. Also an interesting little tidbit there. So another way to put that is while in while on the boundary, he gave up zero touchdowns in 2020. If we assume that that is not his primary position and he's playing a little bit out of position there, I find that interesting. Anyways, again, massively long episode. Uh, why don't we take a break right here? First of all, big shout, a lot of shout outs. Shout out to Andrew, BJ, and Justin for winning first, second, and third. I've had a bunch of you guys, or I think at least two of you guys reach out to me already. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll get that all figured out and figure out how to get that out to you. If you haven't reached out to me yet, make sure you do so, so I at least am in contact and can see that you saw that you won stuff. also want to say thank you to everybody that joined me yesterday on the stream, and a special shout-out to everybody that uh, hit me up with some donations on there. Very, very much appreciated. That really does help me out quite a bit. Thank you a ton to Lucas Garot jumping in on Patreon. And again, if you're not either following me on YouTube, Pack Daddy NFL, or are in the Facebook group, um, right now I'm streaming to um, Packernet Podcast Facebook group. I'd like to do it over at Cheese and Packers, but I, it's just not the way that it's set up. But uh, I'm hoping that you can get over there so that you can find the stream. I'm planning on streaming the draft again. Had a lot of fun doing it last night. I'm very excited about doing it again today. Had a pretty big turnout yesterday, and I'm hoping um, hoping we get a similar turnout. I know first round is always the most exciting, but 
I mean, this is where things can really get cool. I mean, we're talking very high potential. We're getting a wide receiver, uh, you know, top offensive lineman, a really solid defensive lineman to pair with Kenny Clark. I mean, something something fun is going to happen. A linebacker, right? Jabril Cox. I mean, everything we said about there's almost no position they can take that I don't want. Um, it still holds. Now, I, I, I did mention I really would rather we don't go back-to-back corner like we've done twice already in recent memory, just because enough is enough. But um, outside of that and quarterback, I, I kind of don't care. Or probably running back. Let's not do that. Or punter or long snapper. But I'm, I'm hopeful that you guys will join me again on that stream. Otherwise, why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so probably keep this relatively short. We're already in an hour, but I want to go through, again, the two things here. What happened yesterday and also what do we got coming up? So uh, right out of the gate, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson was pretty expected. Trey Lance was the first kind of big shock, but a lot of people already saw that coming. Apparently that, that picked up steam, especially late. I guess the uh, Vegas odds even switched over to Trey Lance sometime yesterday. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I mean, he, the, the one guy, if I had to put a name to who he reminds me of the most, would probably be Colin Kaepernick. He's not quite Lamar Jackson. He doesn't. He's not quite that dynamic with his legs, I don't think, but he's incredibly gifted with his legs. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping this is not Colin Kaepernick 2.0. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm hoping this is late career Colin Kaepernick, not early career Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Kyle Pitts to Atlanta was relatively expected. Jamar Chase to the Bengals. Again, I would I definitely disagree with that assessment, but it doesn't surprise me. Jalen Waddle to Miami is a little bit surprising, not because I didn't think they'd get a weapon, but with Jamar and Kyle gone, I thought maybe they'd go in a different direction. Panay Sewell makes a ton of sense, but they did reignite. Uh, there's been several. Jamar Chase got reunited um, with his quarterback, Jalen Waddle at six, getting reunited with Tua. The first big blow, and I think the NFC North had a pretty good night. In fact, I think everybody did, assuming we like the Packers pick. But uh, I don't think anybody in the NFC North should be upset with their picks. Penny Sewell to the Lions. I mean, they were jumping around when they got that pick, and I don't doubt it. I think, I mean, again, Penny Sewell is arguably one of the, you could say he's the best prospect in this entire draft. I mean, that people have said that, probably not ahead of Trevor Lawrence, but after you get past that, you could argue it, and people have for a long time, and for him to fall into the lap of the Detroit Lions is is really incredible, and they're, 
you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm happy for them, but if I remove myself from Packer fandom and just look at it from an NFL landscape, this is a team that's been beaten and battered and broken, and they've been run by a bunch of really terrible people. I shouldn't say terrible in terms of character. I just mean they're not very good at their jobs. And they went out and they, they really are, are trying to rebuild this thing the right way. And um, you know my respect for John Dorsey and, and the job that he does drafting. And um, if you're trying to rebuild to get a cornerstone like this, obviously quarterback is a cornerstone, but I don't even like the idea of necessarily dropping a quarterback in a mess. If you're planning on getting a quarterback to replace golf, let's say in two years or so, getting that real solid corner, I mean, an offensive tackle or a pass rusher are the number one and two things that I'm looking at for, for Detroit. Obviously, there's no good pass rushers. I don't think any better scenario than Penny Sewell falling to them. Not happy about it personally, but for the Lions, I mean, that that was... Again, you could see why they're jumping around. J.C. Horn going to... Who's calling me right now? I don't have any phone numbers, so I never know anything. It's probably just a spammy nonsense thing. Screen the call. Did get a new phone if I didn't uh, say that yet. Pretty excited to be back in the world of cell phones. But J.C. Horn was a little bit surprising. Um, I know a lot of people said they like J.C. Horn better. Obviously, a big physical kind of a guy. And, um, you know, he does play more man, so maybe that's what Carolina's looking to do is get a better man corner. Again, physical, press man kind of a guy. That led Patrick Sertan to the Denver Broncos there, which obviously upset a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans who have been 100% positive that Sertan is going to be a Cowboy. But uh, the Broncos picking up a good corner, and they need that. They're, they're kind of getting light at that position, and obviously Vic Fangio does a good job with them if he just has the right guys, and I think he got the right guy there. Devontae Smith to the Eagles wasn't super surprising. It was kind of expected. They could have gone different route, but that kind of made sense. Chicago then traded up for Justin Fields. Again, you got to be happy for... For the teams in the NFC North, if we remove ourselves, because it's it's for the Bears, pretty much there's been no expectation they're going to be able to get a, a quarterback, and Justin Fields fell, and uh, that really wasn't all that expected. I mean, it became more expected as as we got in the last couple of weeks here, but um, I, I will say, as a Packer fan, I'm I'm a little bit giddy for a couple of reasons. Number one, they massively overpaid. I mean, when I look at the compensation they should have given up to move up, it looks like about a second round would have done it. Uh, they gave up, I believe, a 2022 first as well as a fourth and a next year's fifth or something to that effect. So they gave up a ton of picks. And this is a team that, look, under certain circumstances, fine. And yeah, they need a quarterback and all that, but they need picks, man. They've, they've been so devoid of picks and their team is falling apart as a result of it. And they're taking another swing on a quarterback as their team continues to dissolve. And they're still kind of devoid of picks and giving away picks. Next year, what are they going to do? How do, how do you help your quarterback, Justin Fields? When you don't have a first round pick, I mean, not that it has to be first round, but again, you got to build around this guy and do what? I mean, you, you better start prioritizing offensive line here pretty quick. So, I mean, look, if Justin Fields is an ace, then I guess we're all in trouble. But, I mean, he went to a pretty bad situation. There are still concerns about the medical issues. Um, I know nobody else seems to be concerned, but it is, I mean, it's scary for, for me personally to think about. I mean, a, a blow to the head could be very serious for him. But um, obviously not wishing that on him, just saying it's it's a concern, and maybe that's why he fell, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Micah Parsons to Dallas. I mentioned on the stream that does make a good amount of sense, but it's also a linebacker in the first, so it kind of makes me smile. Although they did hit on Leighton Vander Esch, at least in the first year, but they're also picking Micah Parsons because I think Leighton Vander Esch is going to be gone. They, I think they've decided not to exercise their fifth-year option on him. Uh, Rashawn Slater to the Chargers was kind of uh, obvious, in my opinion. The Jets trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker was very shocking. It's not, I mean, first of all, there were rumors he was going to go top 10. So it's not because he's not good. I think I get it. It's just the trade up thing for a guard that just kind of, it freaks me out a little bit. But um, I mean, 
unlike the Bengals, I respect the Jets and their ability to see we got a quarterback. Our number one job is to protect him. Number two job is to build weapons around him. And so they're they're going in the right order, and I respect that. Again, the trade up is weird, but um, it's a it's a priority that you pay any price for. Mac Jones going to the Patriots obviously is terrifying. I hope that he is the worst ever. No offense to Mac, but I just... And the fact that he reminds me of Brady, just being this immobile guy that's really accurate, is like, oh, come on, please don't do this. Please don't do it. I can't do it anymore with the Patriots. Unless the Patriots somehow play Tampa Bay and just annihilate them, that'll make me happy. Because I dislike Tom Brady more so than I dislike uh, the Patriots. Uh, Zayvon Collins to the Eagles was a little bit of a surprise. I thought that they might go corner there, but uh, I think a lot of the corners... Who is still available? Caleb Farley was still there. I thought they would go that route, but they obviously didn't feel comfortable with it. Big question mark as to whether or not he's going to play linebacker off ball or whether he's going to be an edge. Don't really know. Interesting to see. I have basically no fear of the Cardinals. I don't really like what they're doing. The media really likes them and what they're doing, and I just, I don't. So I just, I don't know. I think they're kind of a mess. Alex Leatherwood to the Raiders. I actually respect it. It was seen as sort of a reach. I think he's a very good football player for a very big program. He fits their their design of just being this rough, big, large, rugged would you make up your mind, Furnace? This thing is on, off, on, off. We must be right at that temperature. It's like, oh, it's cold. Oh, it's not bad. It's kind of cold. I'm not sure. Driving me. It's on again. Unbelievable. Jalen Phillips to Miami, I think, makes a good amount of sense. During the stream, I said, I go on edge here, getting that cornerstone on defense makes sense. Jalen was not the guy I thought would go, but um, I don't think it was ever that big of I mean, there's a pile of guys. Quiddy Pay was thought to be the top guy, but it's not like earth shattering that Jalen went first. Um, between him, Quiddy, Aziz, Owe, they were all kind of in the in the same pile together. Uh, Mr. Jamin Davis going to Washington, I think, is a little bit disappointing if you're a, a fan of Washington, just because, I mean, you got so many needs. I mean, you need a quarterback, you need offensive line, you need a lot of different stuff, and you get a linebacker. Again, maybe he's going to be fine. I just, that's very whatever. Plus, I mean, at pick 19, he was seen as an early second-round guy. Again, it doesn't matter, but I don't know. It's kind of weird. He was, seriously, it's shutting off again. If you turn on again. Anybody ever punch a furnace? Does it hurt real bad, or just is it more satisfying? Because I feel like it'd be great. Kadarius Tony going to the Giants. That was maybe the first kind of heartbreaker for some people. I was iffy on Kadarius. I never really fell in love with him, but you could obviously obviously see how that would be exciting. Packers apparently really liked the guy, so he went real early. Um, kind of makes you wonder what would have happened if Stokes and Kader- Kadarius were there. Is there a chance? Don't really know, but there was still like some kind of weird character things with him that I wasn't quite sure about. By the way, Eric Stokes, another thing, we need to really be paying attention to who is high character because that obviously is massive for the Packers. Not saying Kadarius isn't, but it seems like it's kind of a weird-ish character. Quiddy Pay went to the Colts. I think that was a fantastic thing for them. He kind of fell, and they capitalized. Caleb Farley to the Titans was a little bit surprising, but uh, they capitalized on a little bit of a high-risk, high-reward thing. Then we get to the Vikings, who again... I think a great pick for the NFC North. I mean, they need a tackle. They need some offensive line help. They've done some some good things to help get that defensive line back on track and the defense hopefully back on track for their sake, not for our sake. And um, I think they've committed to that guy that I can never remember his name that the Packers like that's a tackle, but they're going to play him at guard. So they need a left tackle. And I think Christian Derisaw, who was seen as like the 15th best prospect on this particular board, fall to 23 I had a feeling they might do that. I was hoping they wouldn't because I'd hate to see them get such a great value. But um, at the end of the day, something else I'd mentioned on the stream is he fell for a reason. And you could say the same for the Bears and the same for the Lions. These guys, they they fell for a reason. Other teams didn't necessarily agree with the assessment that this is a top 15 prospect. A top 15 offensive tackle does not make it to 23. So, um, I mean, you know, he went there and we'll see how he does. But it seems like a lot of teams didn't necessarily agree that he was quite that good. 
the, my, my favorite picks of the night came at 24 and 25 when Najee Harris and Travis Etienne went one and two. I was I, I know we had heard about the Steelers taking Najee Harris. I was iffy on it because it seems like you have such big need. I mean, offensive line is a massive need. And I mean, Coach Hahn was losing it all night last night. And I, I tend to agree. I'm, you know, I'm obviously not an offensive line coach like he is, but it's such a foundational thing. You, you very rarely find really good teams that have bad offensive lines. The, the Chiefs had an elite offensive line. Packers had a dominant offensive line. Tampa Bay had a great offensive line. Buffalo had a real good offensive line. I mean, so many really good teams tend to have really good offensive lines, and it's not hard to figure out why. Like I've said, an offense only does two things, run the ball and pass the ball, and you can't do either of those things without a good offensive line. The Steelers' offensive line has become kind of a joke, as well as some other things, and you get a running back? Why? I mean, you can get a running back that's a contributor in the fourth round. Get an offensive tackle. Get an offensive lineman. I don't know, but whatever. Then the Jaguars come up, and I'm, I'm, I've said on the stream, please take ETN. I said, you know, I, they got that undrafted guy, and uh, they kind of like him, but I don't know how much you want to commit to some undrafted free agent. I don't know if that's really what you want to do. They probably should go offensive line here. Again, they absolutely should. Their offensive line is not good, and they just drafted a quarterback, one of the supposedly one of the best to come out in a long time. But I, I, I was halfway joking, but also realizing that, I mean, it would be a, a nice piece. They could use him, I guess. Um, but then when they, when they announced Travis Etienne, I lost it on the stream, dude. I was so unbelievably excited. Um, then we kind of had two guys go that were big, uh, you know, a lot of guys really wanted the Browns took Greg Newsom and the, the Ravens took Rashad Bateman. The Packers had mentioned how they had conversations about moving up, but those never really materialized. They also were making arrangements to possibly move back depending on how things fell. But, um, according to them with Eric Stokes sitting there, they decided that that would not be the best option because again, whether or not you trade back has to do with whether or not there's a guy on your board that you think is a great value where you're picking. And if there's a guy that you really like that's really going to help your team that you think is a great value, you're going to do it. If not, you trade back. And uh, again, so Eric was on that tier that that said we need to stay and not move. They, uh, again, apparently had options to move back. But um, Greg Newsom went, Rashad Bateman went, and then it was down to one player left, and, and they took Peyton Turner, the Saints did. And, and, and again, that was another one of my favorite picks of the night because it's like, are you kidding? That's a third-round prospect. You want to talk about reaching? And again, it, it's based on what the media says. Maybe he's going to be fantastic, but nobody had, had Peyton Turner. as like, please, just I want Peyton Turner. Nobody was saying that. So it just meant that there was going to be a lot of guys that um, were going to be available. And then unfortunately, before the pick came, JJ blasted and blabbed to the whole group in the comment section what the pick was because it got leaked and he told everybody. So that kind of ruined the pick for me. But again, I got over it. And um, when they announced it and they said, Eric Stokes, I was like, JJ, I'm going to strangle you, dude. You wait a whole year for this. And he just drops a bomb and just tells everybody what the pick is before it happens. That, that killed me. Apparently, he misunderstood me when I said, please do not put this in the comments. Don't even hint what the pick is, or I'm going to be upset. He misunderstood that to mean, if you hear what it is, please tell me what it is. But um, round out that with Gregory Russo, Jason Owe, and Joe Tryon to go uh, find, round out the the uh, the first round. So the Packers are back on the clock on at pick 62, and then also at pick 92. Obviously, trades are a possibility. If they trade out, they're still going to be picking because they got the third round. If they trade up, then great. The highest guy on the board still available is Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, assuming he's going to go off the board relatively quickly. You've also got Joseph Asai, a ton of a ton of edge rushers um, in this range. I guess I shouldn't say a ton, but Aziz Ojolari, Joseph Asai, Carlos Basham, Ronnie Perkins, all still available. Um, if we look at positions of need that are decent values, Elijah Moore still on the board. I really doubt he makes it. Terrace Marshall, 
I would say I doubt it, but I, I could see him falling. There's never really been any amount of big hype about Terrace Marshall. He's always hovered. I mean, since like December, he's been like an early second round guy. He's been sitting at 35 for months. I don't think he's going to fall, but could he? I think so. I think Elijah Moore goes almost immediately. Terrace Marshall, we'll see. Rondale Moore, I don't think, again, I don't think makes it. Uh, Rondale, I, I, I think he's gone, but he's been slipping, and he may continue to. He does have some issues. He's, he's kind of a dynamic guy, but I think there's a lot of red flags with him. Um, otherwise, some guys that are kind of back of the of the second-round prospects, Diami Brown out of North Carolina, Amon Ross St. Brown would be obviously exciting because of the connection there. He was seen as a potential um, late first guy for quite a while before he started to slip. Tylen Wallace sitting at 69. I think Amari Rogers at 77 is an option. I wouldn't even rule out Dwayne Eskridge, to be completely honest. Uh, JJ asked me yesterday, what would be a comp to, um, where is he now? Uh, Kadarius Tony. The only guy that came to mind was Dwayne Eskridge. Big yard after the catch guy, kind of a, a dynamic playmaker type. Um, Kind of, we're, we're kind of dipping into the third round a little bit, so I'll kind of stop it there. I know some people mentioned Tutu Atwell. I don't think he goes that early because the dude's literally like 150 pounds, but maybe. Offensive line, uh, one of the, the best prospects still available, Tevin Jenkins. Again, I think he goes, but the fact that some of these guys fell, Tevin Jenkins, Sam Cosme, still on the board. You got Jalen Mayfield, Liam Eikenberg, Dylan uh, Radunes. I mean, these guys still there. And you could add Walker Little and Brady Christensen and Jackson Carmen possibly to that list as well. They're early 70s expected to be. But again, if we're picking at 64, that's not outside of their range. So we're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight offensive tackles within a decent range. I think some people said Carmen is more of an interior guy. This site I know is not great at getting that correctly. I don't really feel like looking it up, but uh, it is what it is still interior so just offensive line in general you still got Landon Dickerson you got Creed Humphrey you got Wyatt Davis you got Quinn Miners you got Josh Myers out of Ohio State you got Trey Smith out of Tennessee all within range um defensive tackles Christian Barmore is still available again I don't think he makes it but um it speaks pretty highly of Levi and Wuzurike possibly being there I'd be super excited about him you've heard me talk about him quite a bit Davion Nixon again I'm not massively excited but I didn't really want him as a first round pick I would get over it in the second round. Um, Alim McNeil would be exciting just because he's a dominant run defender, but also seems to be decent as a pass rusher. Um, other guys seem to be reaches, but I'll be completely honest. If J. Tufele, Milton Williams, or Tommy Togiai go to the Packers in the second round, it's going to be seen as a massive reach, but I'm not going to be mad about it because I like all three of those guys. Uh, linebacker, J.O.K., Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, still there. Nick Bolton, Jabril Cox, uh, possibly Baron Browning as an option. So we got four guys there. I mean, all of these make sense and are guys to be excited about, and and we're not even that many picks away. So very, very exciting. And then we got safety, finally. Trayvon Morig is still available. Javon Holland is still available. Richie Grant. Um, maybe you could throw in Andre Sisco. He seems to be a little bit of an excessive reach at 78, but you could throw him in the mix as well. Again, not that the Packers really care, but I'm trying not to go too crazy and list like third and fourth round prospects as potentials here. But uh, tons of options, tons and tons of options. I mean, you could possibly look at running back. I, I'd rather not because I don't think that'll happen. But um, I talked about how, you know, Javante Williams, everybody knows him. But Michael Carter, the other North Carolina running back, um, is incredibly talented. Kind of the the one and two in terms of what, you know, when I went through all the different stats and the best of the best, both of these guys out of North Carolina were incredibly talented. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't really want it to happen, but it's it's a thing. But anyways, um, it's one of the longer episodes I've ever done, and I kind of want to go upstairs, grab a little refresher on the coffee, and 
I'm excited to start digging in on Stokes again. I'm going to try to crank out a couple of videos for you. And then if nothing else, um, we're going to be going live again for the draft. And I really hope you guys will, will tune in and join me there. The more the merrier. So I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.